But no matter what, I'd walk through whatever fire lies ahead for a chance to make you happy. You're listening to the AMI Audiobook Review. I'm Jacob Shymansky with Ramya Amuthan. That quote was from This Poison Heart by Callan Byron. Ramya, this one was suggested by Amr Khan, although we don't mm-hmm. really have the context so far. Um, but out of context, what do you think it means? You know, love, romance, um, addiction maybe, but just the whole ride or die hashtag. That's what I think. Ride or die, and you're willing to walk through fire. That doesn't sound very healthy. Is it, I does mean, it have to yeah. do with unhealthy relationships? When it doesn't have to be that toxic. It could just be poetic. You know, like the 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 value of the sentiment, not necessarily the literal. Yeah, I'm like, seeing this a little too practically. Pit. No, right. really. Like if somebody I we tells said we weren't you we're going to psychoanalyze things anymore on the show, <laughs> we said that like if... ten times already. <laughs> if somebody tells you, "Oh, I would walk through fire for you," like you uh-huh. tell them, "No, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not no, good for no, you." You're health. not going to say, "Don't do that." You're going to say, "Oh my god, you really love me." But you know what? Words are cheap. Oh, this is getting re- uh, ugly. <laughs> You've done it. You brought me in. <laughs> okay, anyways, are we trying to predict what this quote is actually about or just putting our own um, issues on display? Oh, that was our best uh, best guess yeah. I would have could possibly mean. <laughs> but Amr is going to clear things up a little yeah. later, yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, Amr Khan, who has been upgraded to audiobook curator now, so... He's no longer just a basic audiobook worm. He'll be joining us later on in the show. But um, first, we're going to talk about taking a step back from our busy lives and appreciate the simple things. Now, when I think of simple, I think of immersing into nature, outdoors, deep breaths, forest walking, all kinds of stuff. But uh, all that and more about the living world of greenery is what we're going to talk about with our first guest. I think... I've hinted it enough, but if you don't know, we're going to be checking in with Lawrence Gunther of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther first. And then after that, like I said, Amir Khan, after the break, will be joining us with his recommendations this month. And he always goes with a trio theme. This one is magic, mythology, and Malaysia. He's going to have to clear that up for us as well. Nice alliteration, Amir. Yeah, I know. So Lawrence Gunther of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which is an original AMI audio show slash podcast. And he is the host. He joins us now to talk books. First time on AMI Audiobook Review. Welcome, Lawrence. Ah, thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you on. I love how we're going to be bringing in, you know, your expertise, your uh, interests of outdoors and fishing and everything else, and then bringing it with our stuff, which is books. And by the way, I, I haven't done fishing before, so this is going to be interesting for me. Jacob, have oh. you fished? Oh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, okay. caught some minnows. Not enough to make like half a fish stick, but yeah, I guess it counts. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. But um, Lawrence, instead of asking uh, you to tell us about yourself, I was thinking we could ask you to tell us about your podcast and that would in turn tell us a bit about yourself. So mm-hmm. what is Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther? It's the second podcast uh, I'm doing. I started it in um, September 2020 as a sort of a COVID project with my uh, teenage daughter, Lily. She was 14 at the time. And my son, Theo, he was 12. So Theo ran the technical stuff and Lily got on the uh, headphones with me and gave me a lot of grief for a lot of years. Still still at it. She's 17 now and um, we're in season four. But this is really... I felt the other podcast I was doing, and I still do it, the Bluefish Radio Show, It's that's really focused on environmental conservation type issues. And I wanted to do something different. This uh, The Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther really is directed specifically to people with low vision blindness uh, who have an interest in the outdoors, who live in maybe more rural, remote parts of Canada, not in the city, who want to live in those parts who maybe have cottage memories or mm-hmm. live in cabins, you know, as part of the year and just talk their language. Right. And, and uh, give voice to some of their interests and concerns. I think you have upwards of a hundred episodes so far, and I'm still amazed at how you're consistently pumping out fresh content 
there's so much to talk about. And I think that just speaks to your knowledge on conservation and the environment and camping and just outdoorsy stuff. Yeah, it seems to be endless. And, and we're, we're always hearing from listeners who have their own spin on being in the outdoors and we love to feature them as well. So, you know, it's a kind of knowledge that people develop um, in isolation quite often. And then you Google it, you don't necessarily find it. Right. So, so to have a give voice to the people who, who have developed expertise in one thing or another in terms of outdoor pursuits, it's, it's a lot of fun. No, I think your book reading or a book listening ties into your love of the outdoors. Would you say a lot of your audiobook listening revolves around, uh, outdoorsy topics? Um, environmental stuff is pretty popular these days, a uh, uh, dystopian yeah. type environmental stuff. So I love science fiction. So, uh, that was my first love uh, when I started getting into talking books, it was something that, you know, was available. Um, environmental books, conservation books came later, but I have to say when I, when I still could see a mm. bit and, and using magnifiers, I went to the library and uh, I was taking out books on conservation and fishing and outdoor cooking and all that stuff. And I still have some of those books today and they bring me back such wonderful memories. I, I love that. And all the magazines, you know, around the outdoor stuff. I still get some of those and try to access those online now. But um, yeah, it's, I'm a bit of a mixed bag that way now. Instructionally, do you find that these, um, I don't want to call them manuals, but these books are helpful uh, non-visually like can you still follow a lot or do you need to like now that you are where you are well you know when it comes to fishing right a lot of it has to do with the sense of touch and the sense mm. of feel and i think the only time the only time it really presents a challenge is when i'm learning a new fishing knot oh, true. <laughs> Gosh. but there's people who describe it well and others who use a lot of this and that and there, mm -hmm. you know, those evil words. Right. I, I bet one of the best ways to learn how to do elaborate knots is through illustrations. But uh, so you've come across people who can do it verbally very well, eh? Yeah. And I, I tried to articulate that myself mm -hmm. on uh, my own blog. Uh, one of the blogs I write, this one's all called uh, theblindfishingboat.com. And there it's sort of split into two sections. One is on blind fishing and the other one's on blind uh, navigation on the water whether canoe kayak sailboat or whatever nice nice okay well we're gonna continue talking of course about um, all of these contexts but shall we play a game jacob yeah let's get into our rapid fire review segment so before we get started let me just give you a quick reminder of how the game works you lawrence kindly provided to us five books in advance your five latest most notable reads uh, we're gonna go through them one by one you have 15 seconds for each book to give a rapid fire review your very first thoughts on the book mm. once we Sounds good. yeah once we finish going through those five books you get to pick one of them to elaborate on rant rave whatever you want it's your platform ready mm -hmm. to go i'm good okay good luck i'm gonna read the first title greenwood by michael christie so this is a Canadian-based novel. It spans five generations of very quirky family members, including a blind capitalist who is a lumber baron, and his character is not flattering at all. Yeah. That's 15? Apparently so. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. i got to show him okay. Try again. you got four more attempts. Here. The next one is... All right. Girlfriend uh, on Mars by Deborah Willis. Another Canadian novel that uh, is also dystopian. And this one's about, uh, you know, colonizing Mars and the po the pros and cons of this. It's it's, But it's quite a funny story. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Mm, that was spare. a good one. Nice one. Fireweather, The Making of a Beast by John Valiant. Well, here's something that's purely sort of factual. It relates to the 2016 burning of two-thirds of Fort McMurray and the whole environmental and climate change and extreme weather issues that are that are changing the weather pattern. Oh, that one's Oh, yeah, I forgot epic. about oh, that fire. In. Oh, man. Yeah. There must be a story behind yeah, that. Yeah, this one Yo, sounds really good. That sounds like a good read. Mm. 
Okay, I don't know if we're going to elaborate on that book. one, but I'm, I'm curious anyways. Okay, the fourth one, the fi- sorry, The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. I like this book. This is pure sci-fi, but it also has to do with some, well, I'll be a bit of a uh, spoiler here. It has to do again with off-planet uh, uh, habitation, but it starts with some pretty cool ideas, and then you you really don't know how it twists and turns. Mm. Okay, I'm seeing a, a theme here. Last one. Last one. Beyond Words, What Animals Think and Feel by Carl Safina. Carl Safina is my hero. He is an author of many books about animals. He started writing mostly about marine life and uh, switched now to all animals. He's amazing. Mm. Okay. He's your fave, so you did really well. (laughs) (laughs) Which one are we expanding on, Lawrence? I think we should talk about Carl yeah. Safina and anything he's of written. Course. Okay. Um, tell us more about this one then. Let's start here. Is this just most recent read for you or something that really stuck? This is a recent release by Carl Safina. He spent three years researching this book, traveling all around North America. So it's a kind of book you can jump around by section. So the first thing I read was his section on wolves. You know, having uh, being a dog owner, I was really curious <laughs> to hear what he thought about how dogs and wolves mm. think, oh, right? Yeah. So, And it just brings you right into it. It's just so amazing. You learn so much about wolf culture. J- uh, just to give people a reminder again, uh, it's called Beyond Words, What Animals Think and Feel. So you can read it just flip through and pick your favorite section kind of like a textbook oh yeah the, the last section i read was elephants you know because i've read some books on elephants and and it's a little upsetting yeah. you know but the dolphin section was amazing as well um just just really i mean you start it you, you read it twice sometimes you you know you don't even care if you're reading it twice because it's so rich and the storytelling by carl is so mesmerizing. He just masters storytelling. the art of storytelling. Is this a, a nonfiction? It's his in voice of experts who do research in the field, and he puts it in his own words and just relays it in such a gripping fashion that you can't oh. put it down. They're page turners. Every book he's ever written is a page turner. He's written books about just a sea turtle. You think, who wants to read 300 <laughs> pages about a sea turtle? But you start Wait, it. You can't sea stop. turtle really? or like sea turtle the animal? Sea turtle's the animal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but in this book, he talks about a, a female sea turtle that swims across the Pacific Ocean. And that's 100 pages, you know, mm. just the adventure of that one sea turtle. Uh, on and on. Every book, uh, every book he's ever written is ju- they're just page turners. He's so well regarded in the field of conservation. Mm. Well, you know, I think of these nature documentaries that the BBC produces like Planet Earth and Blue Planet. And when they go and film these animals out in the wild, what they really are doing is telling stories, right? It's about like pointing out an individual, what the goal is, what the issues are and how they overcome it or don't overcome it. Like it's always a story. And they're long form stories too, right? Because they're using uh, cameras that are put into the forest and they're activated by motion. And they'll set up dozens of these cameras in the habitat of these certain animals they're interested in. And they'll just keep going back and, and downloading the content over months, seasons, and in some cases, years. So you're really, you're really getting a feel for how these animals live their lives. I um, think that you've appreciated books, like learning in this way for a very, very long time, Lawrence. Like, do you read books over watching documentaries or YouTube videos or all these other ways of um, learning about nature? I I think books are my favorite, you know, even when I could see a little bit and use magnifiers. Mm. I I love books. I love interviewing authors. You know, I just interviewed an author of a book uh, yesterday. He's a National Geographic um, TV show host, and he's written a book on the giant freshwater fish of the world. But you, you meet these authors and you get a chance to ask them all sorts of questions about, you know, their, their motivation and their mission. But the books themselves, you can put them down, you can pick them up, you can go back and reread sections. I love it. And it's just, you know, it's really, uh, books are made for blind people, yeah. right? Because you don't have to see pictures and most books don't even have pictures. Yeah, everything that's being expressed is expressed in words. Uh, you've been consistently reading two books a week for a very long time. How does that work? Well, I order a bunch 
I read most of them. Some I don't, but I'll often have two or three going at the same time. I don't mind that. You know, I, I, I read an article about people with TikTok and now they're putting books on TikTok in a little chunks at a time and people will listen to the chunks of, of TikTok audiobooks in, in, in no particular order. They'll read what? a book, yeah, an entire book, in just random order. Okay. Although that seems like it would work well for the book you described earlier where it just goes, every section covers a different animal, right? It's like yeah. little, little chunks of factoids. Book. Well, like the ferryman, no. it jumps around in time and, and you could just, you could read it in different orders and it wouldn't affect the storytelling at all because the book Whoa. itself is jumping around in time. I feel time. like you've explored this or, or like the, you know, reading books all willy nilly. <laughs> I've gotten I've gotten less disciplined when it comes to reading. Before, I would always start a book and finish a book before starting another. Mm-hmm. I felt it was uh, something you had to do. But then I realized, you know, with electronic bookmarkers and everything, it, you, you don't have to worry about putting a book down and finding your place again. And, and sometimes you need a little bit of break to to digest it. And and uh, it's okay. It's okay to to you know have different flavors going. You, uh, it's like a put meal. Down a book right? that you can't complete. Don't feel like it. Never really got to the end of it. Sometimes I fall asleep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get to the end and then I realize, oh, I've missed important chunks. And I go back and I go back and I go back and I find all the chunks. And uh, I think there's nothing wrong with no. that either. Of course not. Here's a hypothetical for you. Somebody comes up to you and says, Lawrence, I need a book to help me spark my interest in the natural world. What do you recommend to them? Oh my goodness. I would think Arctic Dreams is is a beautiful book. And uh, the author, I can't remember his name right at, at this moment, but if you Google Arctic Dreams, it's a beautiful, beautiful storytelling of, of, of the Arctic. And um, if you want to learn about Inuit culture, Inuit ways, and the Arctic, this this is just an absolutely brilliant book. And you'll be hooked. Uh, it's what's the name of the book and author? Can you repeat that, please? Ar- it's Arctic Dreams by Barry Lopez. He's a brilliant writer. Unfortunately, he just died recently, but he is his his storytelling ability is just amazing. And that book just I think it hooked me. Uh, it was one of the first talking books I ever was able to listen to about environmental oh. issues, and and it's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And what did you learn in that book specifically? You know, they say there's 50 words for snow, different words for snow uh, by uh, Inuit people. He explains each word and, and how an Inuit hunter can just look onto a frozen landscape and walk out there and get back. You, you look around as a sighted person, there's no distinguishing features as, as someone who doesn't live that culture. Mm. Or, and they have developed that ability in such a strong, powerful way. It's in their DNA it's given them ways of perceiving connections, subtle connections in the environment that we'll never have because we we've we haven't we're not sharing that same DNA. Wow, that makes you realize how naive or ignorant we can be about the environment when you see how genuinely connected people are to their environment. Where when we live in cities, we basically don't touch green. We just ignore it like it's it's not our issue. We're so motivated to gather facts that we forget about the people who, who have developed those, that knowledge. And I think it's so important to, to capture local knowledge, traditional knowledge, and, and get it down because those people will be gone and we never can be guaranteed that that knowledge will be passed on, right? It's like the, the, the role of the traditional storyteller amongst uh, indigenous people. You know, before there was print, uh, audio, magazines, internet, TV, radio, any of that. They had just a blind person who memorized those stories. It was handed down from generation to generation. And their goal was to never change the story and to be able to tell these stories that could last, you know, days days it would could take days to tell a story mm. and they told them perfectly factually accurate in the same way they heard them so do you think that that's the the bridge um to kind of get people because right now we're we're so all over the place Lawrence like you're very not just optimistic but um so kind in the way that you talk about nature and talk about getting with the program and you know understanding but 
for some of us, it's like we're so far away from connecting with nature. Do you think stories are the main way to kind of get people in? Because even with the books that you talk about and why they leave impressions on you, it's back to storytelling. The first thing you have to do if you want to have a connection with nature is you have to drop your ego and um, and just mm. step out of your ego because once you step into nature and your ears adjust to the large open spaces and stop bouncing off walls and ceilings and you're standing there in a boat or on a shore or in an open area and you're listening to things that are happening miles away you realize how insignificant you are, how, how you matter nothing in this big open space, that the world will go on without you and it won't even notice. And then you'll be open to learning and to feeling and sensing and experiencing nature in, in, in ways that are unfiltered and unbiased. It, it, it takes time to, to get there, but anyone who spends time in nature, you, if you open your ears and at the end of the day, You'll feel that way. You'll feel insignificant and you'll feel humbled. How do you think books, audiobooks, and media as a whole can play into our, um, our pursuit of dropping that mm. ego and being more open to climate action and just having better convictions around it? Well, as a young person, when there was few job opportunities for blind and low vision people, was before talking computers and after audiobooks came out, I saw talking books as a two-edged sword. Yeah, they were a source of information, but I also saw them as a source of inoculation, some way of keeping us busy so we wouldn't worry about the fact that we had nothing to do. Oh. And I think there was a lot of that going on. I, you know, the CNIB used to spend $11 million a year shipping out cassette books and right. re-recording audio books on cassette. I have never heard this perspective before. Wow. Yeah. It was a, it was a huge part of the CNIB massive, just moving these books in and out of people's homes. And, and most of these titles were just fiction, you know? So to get into, you know, books now where you have a busy life where we're all busy and we want to find books that either take us away from our stresses in life or help develop new perspectives and interests in life. It's, it's more balanced, right? That's more real. So I think, you know, the fact that we can access so many audio books through so many different channels gives us the opportunity to really focus in and, and dive in and become maybe experts in certain fields in ways that we never had the opportunity before. I wanted to know how your outdoors part. So, you know, when you're actually traveling, when you're actually uh, out there with nature, how you connect back with books there is there a lot of reading or audiobook listening while you're out in nature? Like, I find it to be interesting that you read a lot of like this other stuff that isn't necessarily uh earth and nature related like going to mars uh, and sci-fi yeah. and other kinds of things um but yeah. do you still connect with books while you're outdoors physically i do you know when you're outside and away from the city you know, you, you know about dark sky, right? We hear about dark sky and the dark sky initiative and that there's very few places left in the world where you can go. And at night, there's no ambient light that's glowing on the horizon and impact, bouncing off the, uh, the, the atmosphere that's blocking your view of the stars. Mm. There's not many places in the world where you can do that. I think of places where there, there's no sound, right? And where there's none of that hum of the city the trains, the cars, the uh, automobiles, maybe the odd plane goes by and you think, what the heck? Get that plane out of here. Holy mackerel, it's spoiling it. But for the most part, nature's quiet. You know, yeah, there's wind and trees, but wind isn't always there and it's just quiet. So you can just be there in the silence. It's a great opportunity to just take a book and just listen to a beautiful book in that silent world when you've you know, you've spent a long day doing physical things, you're exhausted, 
and you just want to put your feet up around the campfire or get in your sleeping bag and and just enjoy that voice, you know, quietly talking in your one ear as, as you listen to the rest of the world around you and just that complete silence. That sounds lovely. Silence. Yeah is a luxury nowadays, isn't it? it Oh, yeah. And you often hear people, you know, talking about all-inclusive vacations and taking their books there. Like, I haven't read in a while. I'm definitely taking a book to that resort. But your your sounds like a step up and a step into um, nature in a very (laughs) different way. You know, we're talking silence and camping and being by water and all these different, like, very off of our regular lifestyle, city lifestyle, at least. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that storytelling around the campfire, right? It's and like I said, it, it, indigenous uh, knowledge keepers, you know, and, and a lot of them were blind, and um, that was their role. They they were they were provided with food. They they had families. They had children. They had housing. They were considered very high up in the status of of the of the community because of their right. storytelling ability. But just to be able to take that story and and. And, and they're around the fire and tell that story over not just, you know, how often do, how much time do we have to tell a story, mm. right? Before our friends start joking and get distracted. That's why TikTok but, videos are so short. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Well, these indigenous storytellers were very clearly very valued. You mentioned the term storytelling quite a bit earlier, even though you were discussing nonfiction, basically. Mm. Do you think that storytelling is the best way to disseminate important, difficult information as opposed to to a, a dense um, academic tome? I asked an indigenous knowledge keeper this one, this question, and he was um, a man in his 60s, had been blind for most of his life. And I asked him why the stories he, that have been passed on over centuries, they don't have strong morals or, or value statements in them. He said that those statements of morality and values are embedded in the story itself. It, it, you don't take that out and hammer people over the head with it. That's not the, the indigenous way. People are proud. People are, are, are not going to be talked down to and, and lectured. They have, you know, their whole existence is based on being strong and confident. If you lose your confidence, you'll never find an animal. You'll never find food. You'll never find shelter. You have to believe in yourself. So for someone to come along and start lecturing you as if you were, you know, stupid Mm -hmm. is, is completely unacceptable. And I think good storytelling it follows that approach and, and good books follow that approach. They're not talking down mm. to us. They're not belittling us. They're not ridiculing us. They're not, you know, pointing out our flaws and our lack of uh, knowledge in certain topics. They're filling in those gaps. Which is very difficult to do. I mean, thinking about where we are right now in the world and the kinds of desperate conversations and measures we're taking uh, and realizing, you know, how badly things are going. I think it's super difficult, even, you know, us having a conversation with you, Lawrence, you're very, you know, holistic about how uh, we see these things and how we experience. But like, how do you how do you stay not just positive, but um, I guess kind? Yeah. Through these conversations. There's a lot of debate. Yeah, you avoid the echo chambers, right? right? I mean, it's easy to get into an echo chamber and you're just telling moralistic opinions Mm -hmm. about what's right and wrong and everyone else agrees with you and it just inspires you to go even further and further with your moral preaching. No, you make a good point, Ramya. It is kind of hard to stay kind sometimes when we have these strong convictions about the environment. Like if you're in a car with someone and somebody wants to chuck their garbage out the window. Like... You're not, yeah, we're going to scream at him. But is that the best way to get the message across? And I think storytelling is it's one of the impact, best ways to yeah. disseminate that message because it's not preachy. It respects the intelligence of the reader and it makes them come to the, their mm. own conclusions. And sometimes that's not just a quick reaction, right? Like you're not going to sit there and tell a story and all of a sudden this person isn't going to want to throw out their uh, Timmy's cup out the, the window anymore. 
right? Like you're not necessarily looking for that instant change or that instant reaction. You're trying to promote a deeper understanding of the connections. Yeah, you don't just tell them don't do that because it's bad. You tell them why mm-hmm. it's bad and why we should change or our what ways. What exactly is going on? Yeah. But again, you know, if if you talk down to people, they're just going to walk away, mm-hmm. right? How do we start to rebuild these bridges and get away from our silos of of, of where we find comfort in 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 the company of people who believe in the things we believe in and share the same values we have? You know, because we know there's other people out there who have different values, different opinions, and and exist in different silos. And that's the problem I think right now is, is we're not communicating, we're not sharing. And, um, and you know, and I think that's, that's our, our way back to having good sound democratic uh, and, and fair exchanges of information and, and, and progress. You know what I love because it feels so full circle, Lawrence, as you say this, that I think of grounding ourselves, right? Like we are also or can also be very frustrated and very, you know, why can't this be the the change? But um, we have to ground ourselves. And the best way to do that is to go back out in ner- nature again. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. You, you nailed it. This has been great. And with that, I think we're going to have to let yeah. you go so you can go back and uh, ground yourself. Although you do seem like you're already firmly yeah, grounded we already. We need to ground ourselves, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Lawrence, thank you so much. This was awesome. Oh, uh, what a great opportunity, you guys. Thanks for sure, uh, letting me uh, join you guys. Lawrence Gunther of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Check it out on your favorite podcast platform. Tune into AMI-audio for episodes as well. When we come back from our break, Amir Khan, our very own audiobook curator, is joining us and he's come up with this month's recommendations. The theme, as we told you, is magic, mythology, and Malaysia. We'll find out what he has there. This is AMI Audiobook Review. Welcome back. It's AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And it's that time of the month where we check in with Amir Khan. Now, we are like updating Amir significantly starting this month, huh? You're not just an audiobook worm anymore, Amir. You're the audiobook curator now. So much more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Our very own personal audiobook curator. Wow. No pressure. And we not wanted just you us, because listeners, everybody. you're a tastemaker. We we I trust mm-hmm. in your judgment, honestly, mm-hmm. and everyone. Oh should. I know. I feel I feel like I need a brand new black suit now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a new yeah, cufflinks. So um, yeah, it, it's very self-explanatory. You're going to talk not just about the books you've been reading or the things that have caught your attention in that sense, but we're going to make this a more broad conversation around uh, books. You know, different themes, different authors, whatever it means to you. We'll figure it out as we go. But today's theme is magic mythology and malaysia i do enjoy the alliteration in the themes where do you want to start uh we'll start with the myth and magic part of it uh, i think with uh callan baron uh, or callan byron i've uh, seen a couple of different pronunciations of her name uh, this author seems to write very light adventurous stories she's most well known for a book called cinderella is dead uh, which is more of a black perspective on, on on Cinderella, and most of her books are from a black perspective. Um, the two books I read are This Poison Heart and This Wicked Fate are the two books uh, I read uh, from Callan Byron. And the author has a, uh, a big interest in botany and plants, uh, which is evident in the book. And she also has an interest in Greek mythology, magic, and sort of cultural context in the modern age. So these two books are very much uh, teenage adventure stories. Uh, if mm-hmm. listeners really like, you know, X-Men origin stories and and things like that, but are not looking for the, you know, the typical uh, route, this, these books are great. Uh, it's the, the mix of all three of these things that she puts you on a, on a ride that you really can't predict. Um, the first book is definitely more of an X-Men origin story piece. You have... Uh, a teenager who has this ability to grow plants, which she doesn't understand. Uh, she has two moms. Uh, she's an orphan uh, that was taken in by these two moms. Uh, they live in Brooklyn and, and have a flower shop. And one fine day, somebody comes to town and tells her her birth mother's family has left her a 
big state in upstate New York, which is steeped in all sorts of mystery and that they should go and check it out because it's all paid for and um, it's all hers. So hmm. that's the jumping off point for, for the book in terms of, you know, she's she's already sort of really nervous, uh, very similar to sort of an X-Men mutant story where she can't really control her abilities she's trying to hide it from everybody but wherever she goes the plants sort of bend towards her and it's it's not a great look in, in new york city and to be in high school and have these weird things always happening so they decide to go out to this upstate new york place and check it out which happens to be in a small village and they start to notice some very interesting things about the people there and i think that's enough of a teaser there um, but the first book is it reminded me a lot of the Lord of the Rings series in terms of it's it's a big setup for for the second book. Uh, it doesn't mean that the first book is bad. The first book is actually great, um, but uh, some listeners might want to be prepared for that in terms of the, the the ending is similar to something like Lord of the Rings, where you know you have another adventure set up uh, for the second book. So speaking about Callan Byron's um, body of work as a whole, what would you say? is something she does especially well in her writing. I haven't read all of her books. These are the only two I've read, but but glancing at, at her, her works, it, she seems to have a lot of fun writing. Um, mm, so like a lot that. of it is uh, adventure-based and, you know, uh, she is uh, a Black, so she she does like to write in that vein in terms of from that perspective. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of resetting a lot for, for me personally, because, uh, you know, when you're reading these books, there's, there's certain things that don't sort of mix together. Um, but, you know, she takes artistic license with that. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of Greek mythology in these two particular books and you're like, okay, well, you know, uh, people who are black are typically from Africa and, you know, she's putting all these veins together from people from Greece. <laughs> so, right. uh, so you have to sort of set some of those things aside. Um, but, but the general theme of her books is that she, she really wants to have, uh, the reader on an adventure and, and have fun. You're not supposed to take these book books all too seriously. And, um, you know, by her own admission, she, she mishmashes a lot of different sort of things together to, to weave a story. Was it difficult for you to put aside your own um, research brain and just have fun with it? No, not not really. I mean, I think it was more of a just reminding yourself of different things. You know, culturally, that there are certain aspects where when you read it and it reminds you of of where the the characters are from and, and what the you know where the author is from as mm -hmm. well, um, which you know. You know, again, it sets you back, you know, into the into the theme of, of where the author wants you to be. But um, no, it, was, it wasn't difficult. I mean, most of the time you're, you're wondering what's going to happen next and, and, you know, what the adventure is holding and what the characters are thinking. Um, there's a lot about plants, which I didn't know about. But it's, it's again, it's not it's not difficult to follow. You know, if you don't know anything about plants, you can still read this book and uh, be a bit more educated Thank on uh, different types of plants and things like that wouldn't be the um, reason why you want to put these books away right because <laughs> no, she's so no. involved in the botany that you're like i have no idea yeah and you have to bring biology <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, she uses some of the greek words for the uh for the plants too but uh again mm -hmm. it's not necessary to know what those are so obviously you're saying that it's fun like she writes in a fun mm -hmm. way these are fun books are they funny they are uh there's you know each character is, is sort of developed differently in terms of you know her two moms uh the protagonist herself uh different characters that come in and, in and out of the the books um so yeah the, the, it's it's fun to get to know the characters there's just a lot of laughs along the way there's some seriousness too in the in the book which um which again is sort of a good mix uh, in terms of of having a book that both makes you you know sad and uh but mostly happy throughout the throughout the book in terms of uh, reading enjoyment for listeners okay so here's a question for both of you how do you know the book you're reading is fun more than anything because not all books are fun reads what makes mm. a book fun to you guys i don't know i i really have to think about that because i'm trying to think of examples of fun reads for me fun comes with the familiarity like if something was kind of an, an awesome world to get into and then i can like revisit you know it's like that nostalgia mm. the remembering of how i felt when i first read this book that's when i find it fun um or perhaps cozy is fun for me like it, it, they these two which is ironic because you're talking about adventure 
I find sometimes adventure can be like too much. It can be tense, right? Yeah. There can be a lot of tension there. Tense. And that's and not maybe necessarily you're not on the same fun. vibe as the characters, so you're not necessarily enjoying it. Right. right. It like, can be intriguing. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about world building too. And I find in this book, it, it's fairly light. I mean, most of it is, is based in reality. I mean, obviously there's there's other parts of Greek mythology and things that happen in the book, which are which are more world building, but it's very light. And I, and I think that goes to enjoyment for a lot of folks too, where they don't really have to think a lot about the world building and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, for me personally, I mean, uh, a light book is, is something that I can laugh at. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm having fun when, you know, I, I, I'm reading it just, just to see what happens next. And uh, yeah. I'm not sort of nervous or taking it too seriously. Whereas, like you don't have to work too hard. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the second book is much more serious and you think about it a lot, but not to relive the enjoyment, but you're thinking about it in different aspects, right? Mm. Right. So um, this other book you wanted to talk about is from an author you brought up last month by Tan Tuang Eng, uh, The Gift of Rain. You want to tell us about that one? Yeah, The Gift of Rain. Uh, this is for listeners who really like um, a good, serious book. Uh, it's historical fiction. Uh, and it's a book that you can really sink your teeth into. It's got multi-layers of, of all sorts of themes in it. Um, it's set just before and after the Second World War and throughout that time period. Um, if I had to sum up the entire book in one word, it'd probably be identity. Um, the author does a fantastic job of painting the picture of uh, the author's favorite place, which is the island of Penang off of Malaysia. And I believe all of his books are actually set in that particular landscape. And it's very clear that he loves the place and he does a fantastic job of describing, you know, everything from the food to the people to the plants um, and that sort of thing. And that was, I think, the greatest the, the greatest surprise for, for this particular book for me was that after reading this sort of teenage adventure story from Cal and Byron, I really didn't expect to have anything in common with a serious book like this. Um, and then, you know, the book starts with descriptions of the trees and the landscape. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, they're, they're both really like nature and they both really like plants. But that's pretty much where the, the similarities stop. This is a much more uh, reflective and uh, morality based book. Uh, as I said, the book centers around identity. The main character is um, his parents are uh, British and Chinese, so he's from a mixed marriage. The island of Penang has both those community and more on it, but neither side really accepts him um, because they don't think that he's enough on either side. So he struggles with that. Uh, he's also um, his father's second marriage, uh, a child from the second marriage. So uh, you know that's another sort of distance piece that he has from family. So. It's a duality between, you know, he feels very connected to to the island because it's the only home he's ever known. But at the same time, the people there aren't really accepting of him. Um, and the story sort of gets gets going with a uh, with a Japanese man coming to town and him basically uh, taking him on as a sensei or as a student. So the student teacher relationship develops uh, from this Japanese man, which is a third person or a third culture for the, the island. And, you know, for, for him, you know, both the Chinese and the uh, British cultures on the island do not like the Japanese culture folks or the Japanese at that time for, for all sorts of political reasons. So, you know, our main character is sort of struggling three ways to, to fit in and, and belong. And um, the only w- place he feels comfortable is with this, this Japanese sensei and, uh, of course, the the timeline goes through the Second World War and and what he has to do and what he thinks is right uh, in terms of his actions. What makes this? You use the word epic to describe this. Are what are you talking about when you say that? So, epic in terms of the number one, the book goes through a very large time frame. It's not just you know a year or two. We're following this this man's life, and most of the book is a flashback from when he's older. Um, because somebody comes to town. Um, so epic in terms of that, and then epic in terms of time and history, right? He's going through, uh, you know, finding himself as a young man to dealing with the Second World War, what is right, what is not, who does he support, who does he help, how can he help, what is going too far, what will k- get himself killed, what will get his family killed, how does he protect all of these sort of sort of things. Um, I, I should mention that the protagonist is also a 
uh, industrialist son. So, you know, his father is one of the most richest men on Penang. So there's, there's also this responsibility towards people in terms of leadership. Um, and all of this is mixed in, in terms of being part of that sort of epic saga of, you know, he loves this, this island and he loves the people, but how can he protect it when it's being occupied by, by the Japanese? And on one hand, he knows the Japanese are very cultured. And on the other hand, you know, he's seeing evidence of the contrary. So, um, and how that all sort of gels together throughout this book. Mm. Yeah, the term epic is more often invoked in the context of scope, like something that's um, that's taking up a, a large part of someone's life. But in this case, mm. it's taking up a large part of like the the um, the future of the island. Would you agree? Right, timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, timing. the future of the island, as well as mm-hmm. his own life. Right. I mean, like you know, mm-hmm. he goes from a young man to uh, pretty much retirement age um, in in the entire book, and. You, you, you see that there's there's all sorts of loss. It's not an easy book to read. I mean, for listeners who uh, do not want a serious book, do not go near this book. Not fun. Uh, it's, uh, it has its moments of levity, but it is a more serious read. Um, there's, there's parts that will make you laugh. There are parts where, you know, there is enjoyment. Um, and if you, if you like a good author in terms of writing quality, this author is fantastic. I mean, it's a pleasure to read almost every line of this book. Uh, the way things are described, the way that the characters' thoughts are expressed. Uh, it's just written really, really well. So what type of reader would you recommend uh, this book, The Gift of Rain by Tan Tuang Ang to? Somebody who's interested in a more serious read, like I said, I mean, this is not a teenage adventure. This is not something that's humorous. It is 18 hours long too, so it's not a quick read either. Um, so if, if you really want a book to sink, sink your teeth into and, and sit with you uh, chapter by chapter, it, it's a it's a great book if you're if you're the type that wants to pace a book and, and have it with you for a while. Um, I, I would say this is one of those books that is perfect for a book club. Uh, it's you know, can pick apart so many different themes and, mm-hmm. and scenes and parts and chapters of this book. Uh, there's scenes and descriptions, which I'm still thinking about now in terms of was the author trying to do this or that? Um but you're not quite sure. What is the title referencing to The Gift of Rain? So The, the Gift of Rain uh, is, is re- referencing the the uh, protagonist. Uh, the book opens with the protagonist basically being told by a fortune teller that, you know, he is somebody who brings rain and that his fate is sealed. And, and that's sort of a, a piece that... Uh, is throughout the book that he, he keeps coming back to in terms of not only the fate, but the duality of rain itself in terms of people don't like it. People don't like to go out, but it also brings life. Um, huh. So you have that duality of, you know, destruction versus giving life. And then on, on the same sort of a plane you have uh, the author thinking about, you know, he has to make decisions, but everybody's telling him his fate is already sealed and it's already been written. Mm. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How long was the book Omer? About 18 hours. That's a long read. I mean, in in today's way of thinking of long reads, I guess, in audiobook form. Um, do you have anything to say about the investment of the book? Uh, and I was thinking about this when you said epic as well, because a lot of the times when, with literary terms, I'm thinking um, epics just in the length of a book and the investment of a person or um I guess, a community that's being featured. But in this kind of context, do you find that the 18 hours felt like 18 hours longer or shorter? It felt about right. Um, and that's a good sign for this particular book because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I also asked a friend to read this with me, Debbie Williams, who you've had on the show before. And and that was really my barometer of, of asking, you know, did you feel that it was worth it, the 18 hours? And, and her feeling was yes. Uh, and, and her sort of comment was also that it wasn't an easy book to read from an emotional perspective, but it was totally worth it. Mm. And I, I, I feel the same way in terms of, you know, just the descriptions and the way the author writes uh, and the point of views is, is worth the 18 hours. But the author goes above and beyond just those pieces in terms of dealing with all these really hard sort of moralistic issues that, that go with war, uh, that also go with, you know, family responsibility and that also go with cultural responsibility. There's a lot of storytelling in this book. So if you're the type of person that really likes storytelling, um, you know, Tan Tuang Ng does a great job of, of not only telling this protagonist story, but also other characters throughout the book. 
Perfect. So that's The Gift of Rain by Ten Tuang Eng. And you also recommended This Poison Heart by Callan Byron and This Wicked Fate, also by Callan Byron. Awesome. Amr, thank you so much. Um, as our new audiobook curator, we will chat with you next month. Looking forward to it. Ramya, before we let everybody go, shall we go through the SILA homepage? Yes, let's do that. By that I mean, please read the SILA homepage. <laughs> I assumed so. <laughs> okay, here are the three featured titles that you can find on celalibrary.ca. We love to promote them because it's a gigantic catalog of free accessible books for you. If you have a print disability, you can sign up with them and have access to all of these audiobooks, daisy books, whatever format you need, honestly. Um, and here are the three titles. They feature three titles and update them every once in a while. The three that are up there right now are The Armor of Light, King Bridge Number 4 by King Follett, and this is a historical fiction. We also have Starling House, by Alex Siero. This is a romance. And we have The Running Grave by Robert... Hold on. And we have The Running Grave by Robert Galgrave. And this is a Gentle Mysteries. That's it for us. We're signing off now. We'll be back in a week with a brand new episode. Make sure that you give us your feedback and contributions and commentary on the episodes. Call us 1-866-509-4545. You can also email us feedback at ami.ca. Thanks, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And tune in next week. We're going to have Julie Martin, one of, the, uh, one of our regular AMI contributors coming on to uh, get subjected to our rapid fire review yeah. segment again we love that one that's our favorite it is our favorite hosts jacob shimansky and ramia amuddin technical producer nisreen abdel majid until next time people happy audiobook listening Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.